0: Welcome back, my friends. My name is Rob Booker, and in this private podcast, we're summarizing the ideas from Seth Klarman's Margin of Safety. It's a book that went out of print many years ago. In 1991, Seth Klarman published this book as one of the most successful value investors of our time. The book quickly went out of print, and he never authorized another printing, so the books go for over $2,000 on Amazon. I'm using this podcast as an opportunity to get to know you better and provide something of value so that if in the future you decide that working together with a mentor or someone to help you with your trading is right for you, you might consider working together with me. For more information about this podcast and other podcasts like it, or to apply to work together with me, you can go to robbooker.com, R-O-B as in boy, B as in boy, O-O-K-E-R.com. All right, let's continue. Number 25, shenanigans of growth. Investors are often overly optimistic in their assessment of the future. A good example of this is the common response to corporate write-offs. This accounting practice enables a company that, at its sole discretion, to clean house, instantaneously ridding itself of underperforming assets, uncollectible receivables, bad loans, and the costs incurred in any corporate restructuring accompanying the write-off. Typically, Such moves are enthusiastically greeted by Wall Street analysts and investors alike. Post-write-off, the company generally reports a higher return on equity and better profit margins. Such improved results are then projected into the future, justifying a higher stock market valuation. Investors, however, should not so generously allow the slate to be wiped clean. When historical mistakes are erased, it's too easy to view the past as error-free. It is then only a small additional step to project this error-free past forward into the future, making the improbable forecast that no currently profitable operation will go sour and no poor investments will ever again be made. As a side note, I love this section so much because as a short seller, this is exactly the kind of thing I look for. A company that writes a bunch of stuff off and makes a big mistake, and then the company's stock price goes up because temporarily, Its earnings go up because of the write-off. That's kind of a fake way to have better earnings. And the stocks usually drop from there. All right, let's continue. Number 26, conservatism and growth investing. How do value investors deal with the analytical necessity to predict the unpredictable? The only answer is conservatism. Since all projections are subject to error, optimistic ones tend to place investors on a precarious limb. Virtually everything must go right or losses may be sustained. Conservative forecasts can be more easily met or even exceeded. Investors are well advised to make only conservative projections and then invest only at a substantial discount from the valuations derived therefrom. Number 27, how much research and analysis are sufficient? Some investors insist on trying to obtain perfect knowledge about their impending investments researching companies until they think they know everything there is to know about them. They study the industry and the competition, contact former employees, industry consultants, analysts, and become personally acquainted with top management. They analyze financial statements for the past decade and stock price trends for even longer. The diligence is admirable, but it has two shortcomings. First, no matter how much research is performed, some information always remains elusive. Investors have to learn to live with less than complete information. Second, Even if an investor could know all the facts about an investment, he or she would not necessarily profit. This is not to say that fundamental analysis is not useful. It certainly is. But information generally follows the well-known 80-20 rule. The first 80% of the available information is gathered in the first 20% of the time spent. The value of in-depth fundamental analysis is subject to diminishing marginal returns. Most investors strive fruitlessly for certainty and precision avoiding situations in which information is difficult to obtain. Yet, high uncertainty is frequently accompanied by low prices. By the time the uncertainty is resolved, prices are likely to have risen. Investors frequently benefit from making investment decisions with less than perfect knowledge and are well rewarded for bearing the risk of uncertainty. The time other investors spend delving into the last unanswered detail may cost them the chance to buy in at prices so low that they offer a margin of safety despite the incomplete information. As a side note, we always only have incomplete information. When buying a stock in the morning or buying a stock long-term or shorting a stock in the morning, I can't know everything. And we've got to become comfortable with a certain level of uncertainty. The uncertainty is counterbalanced by great entry prices that allow for some movement against us. Number 28, value investing and contrarian thinking. Value investing is by its very nature contrarian. Out of favor securities may be undervalued. Popular securities almost never are. What the herd is buying by definition, in favor. Securities in favor have already been bid up in price on the basis of optimistic expectations and are unlikely to represent good value that has been overlooked. If value is not likely to exist in what the herd is buying, where may it exist? And what are they selling, unaware of, or ignoring? When the herd is selling a security, the market price may fall well beyond reason. Ignored, obscure, or newly created securities may similarly be or become undervalued. Investors may find it difficult to act as contrarians, for they can never be certain whether or when they will be proven correct. Since they're acting against the crowd, contrarians are almost always initially wrong and likely for a time to suffer paper losses. By contrast, members of the herd are nearly always right for a period. Not only are contrarians initially wrong, they may be wrong more often and for longer periods than others because market trends can continue long past any limits warranted by underlying value. Holding a contrary opinion is not always useful to investors, however. When widely held opinions have no influence on the issue at hand, nothing is gained by swimming against the tide. It is always the consensus that the sun will rise tomorrow. But this view does not influence the outcome. I want to give a side note because as a short seller, I have become comfortable with most people thinking I'm an idiot. I like to make money from something that most people think is impossible. If I can make $400, $500, $600, or $1,000 a day shorting stocks and everybody in the world thinks I'm dumb, I can still spend that money. (laughs) So I can just laugh all the way to the bank. Being a contrarian means you're willing to consider ways to make money that other people might find distasteful or unreasonable. And you do it anyway. Your willingness to do something that other people don't like is a sign that you deserve the success that you're going to achieve. And let's continue. Number 29, fallacy of indexing. To value investors, the concept of indexing is at best silly and at worst, quite hazardous. Warren Buffett has observed that, quote, in any sort of a contest, financial, mental, or physical, it's an enormous advantage to have opponents who have been taught that it's useless to even try, end quote. I believe that over time value investors will outperform the market and that choosing to match it is both lazy and short-sighted. Indexing is a dangerously flawed strategy for several reasons. First, it becomes self-defeating when more and more investors adopt it. Although indexing is predicated on efficient markets, the higher the percentage of all investors who index, the more inefficient the markets become as fewer and fewer investors would be performing research and fundamental analysis. Indeed, At the extreme, if everyone practiced indexing, stock prices would never change relative to each other because no one would be left to move them. Another problem arises when one or more index stocks must be replaced. This occurs when a member of an index goes bankrupt or is acquired in a takeover. Because indexers want to be fully invested in the securities that comprise the index at all times in order to match the performance of the index, the security that is added to the index as a replacement must immediately be purchased by hundreds or perhaps thousands of portfolio managers. Owing to limited liquidity, on the day that a new stock is added to an index, it often jumps appreciably in price as indexers rush to buy. Well, Nothing fundamental has changed. Nothing makes that stock worth more today than yesterday. In effect, people are willing to pay more for that stock just because it has become part of an index. I believe that indexing will turn out to be just another Wall Street fad. When it passes, the prices of securities included in popular indexes will almost certainly decline relative to those that have been excluded. More significantly, as Behrens has pointed out, quote, a self-reinforcing feedback loop has been created where the success of indexing has bolstered the performance of the index itself, which in turn promotes more indexing, end quote. When the market trend reverses, matching the market will not seem so attractive. The selling will then adversely affect the performance of the indexers and further exacerbate the rush for the exits. Side note, Seth Klarman was absolutely spot on about this, but it didn't change anything. Indexing is still in popular demand. Indexing means that people are trying to recreate the S&P 500 by buying all the stocks that are included in the S&P 500, which practically is impossible for an individual investor. And so the rise of ETFs has just taken hold of everyone. The problem is when markets dip, these indexes or these ETFs can crash hard when everybody's going for the exits all at the same time. Last of all, number 30, it's a dangerous place. Wall Street can be a dangerous place for investors. You have no choice but to do business there but you must always be on your guard. The standard behavior of Wall Streeters is to pursue maximization of self-interest. The orientation is usually short-term. This must be acknowledged, accepted, and dealt with. If you transact business with Wall Street with these caveats in mind, you can prosper. If you depend on Wall Street to help you, investment success may remain elusive. Thank you for joining me on this private podcast. I'll see you next time.